that the Lord's Prayer, when you think about it, are possibly the most spoken words in all of history. Just something to think about. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to be focusing on material that's unique to Luke. I say that because most of what we read here is also written in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, it's true that Luke 11 parallels Matthew 6. But there is one section we'll read this morning, verses 5 through 8, that only appears in this gospel. Now, it's only four verses. Some biblical scholars don't even consider it a full-on parable. They prefer to call it something like an illustration or a saying. But these few easily overlooked verses have something to teach us If we look closer. So open up to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who brings us together from different walks of life, different Ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different experiences. We are a ragtag bunch of people at this church. Uh, But Lord, I pray that that shows your power uh, in a very real way. uh, That so many different people from so many different places can come together under one banner, um, under one cross, and worship you. And praise you and thank you, because I pray that everyone in this room has found that our salvation rests in you, no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from. We have sin in common, even if we don't have anything else in common, and you are the only answer to sin. And Lord, thank you that you have provided a way of salvation, the way of salvation, through your son Jesus. And I pray you'd be with us as we read your word this morning. Give us ears to hear, as we've talked about throughout this sermon series. Help us understand your words to us, not just so we can know the Bible better, but so that we can know you better and that we can worship you more fully and obey you more consistently and love you more fervently. Again, thank you for this time we have together, these people, this place. Be with us as we read your word today. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, maybe you've been in a situation where you see someone that you're used to seeing in one context in a totally different context. And then all of a sudden, you have no idea how to approach them. The classic example is when an elementary school student bumps into their teacher at the grocery store and then has no idea how to talk to them outside of the classroom. The bewildered student just assumed that the teacher lived at school and had no other kind of life. Or maybe it's happened to you when you've encountered your boss outside of work and you feel the need to make conversation, but it's just very awkward. Or maybe you've seen a family member for the first time in a very long time. 
And they've changed so much over the years that you basically have to relearn how to interact with them. It's like you're meeting them for the first time. Well, the point is this. Our view of someone affects how we approach them, speak to them, and relate to them. If we view someone strictly as a teacher, we won't know how to approach them outside of school. If we only think of someone as a coworker, we won't know how to approach them outside of the office. If we can only remember what someone was like when they were a child, we won't know how to approach them when they're grown up. Well, Luke chapter 11 can force us to consider how we approach God. More specifically, Jesus teaches us something about how we approach God in prayer. It's worth noting that Jesus speaks more about prayer in the Gospel of Luke than all the other Gospels combined. So if we're in the Gospel of Luke for the next couple months, you can expect this to come up again. But for now, let's focus on Luke chapter 11, reading in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer gives us several ways to approach God when we pray. And the first is that we approach God as our father. Now, on the one hand, there is a unique sense in which Jesus is God's son in a way that we will never be. But on the other hand, Jesus invites us to call God by the same title that Jesus calls him. Father. In typical Jewish practice up to this point, the idea of calling God Father wasn't totally unheard of. But it also wasn't terribly common. So there is a sense in which Jesus teaching his disciples to pray in this way is a new and different thing. There is a new level of intimacy with God given to followers of Christ. So we approach God in prayer as his children, his sons and daughters. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in passages like Galatians 4 and Romans 8. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on our behalf, we are, by grace through faith, God's children. In a way that we simply were not before. And as God's children, we are heirs to God's promises. But the Lord's Prayer also teaches us to approach God as our holy king. The phrase, hallowed be your name, is both a statement and a request. We recognize that God is holy, that he is different 
And we ask that God show himself to be holy through his actions in the world. And by the way, Matthew's edition of the words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those words remind us that as king, God's will is greater than ours. And as his subjects, our wills must be conformed to his. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 offers a helpful lesson along these lines. As we just said, we approach God as his children. There's no doubt about that. But we also remember that God is in heaven and we are on earth. Thus, we approach God humbly with a deep sense of reverence and awe. So it's safe to say that because of Jesus, we can come to God in prayer with confidence and with comfort. But there's also something to be said for not coming to God in prayer casually. He is both our father and our king. This Lord's prayer also encourages us to approach God as our generous provider. Jesus teaches us to pray for big spiritual things. Your kingdom come. But he also teaches us to pray for small material things. Give us each day our daily bread. Of course, people like us, who are mostly financially well off, may not be used to praying that kind of prayer. Most of the time, we seem to have our basic, physical, daily needs pretty well taken care of without God's help. But if nothing else, this challenges us to remember our dependence upon God and our frailty. After all, it wouldn't take that much for all of our financial, physical, and material security to come crashing down. We're more fragile than we think we are. And we need God to provide for us more than we realize. The Lord's Prayer also teaches us to approach God as righteous judge. That's why we confess our sin to him. And seek the forgiveness that only he, as the rightful judge of the universe, can provide. When we come to God in prayer, we recognize ourselves for who we really are on our own. Fallen and sinful. We don't pretend that our sin isn't a real problem that doesn't need to be dealt with. But thankfully... God has proven himself more than willing and more than capable to deal with our sin through his son's death and resurrection. And finally, the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray to God as our powerful protector. Lead us not into temptation. Matthew adds, deliver us from evil or the evil one. Jesus himself asked God in prayer to protect his people from Satan. Jesus' words in John 17, verse 15, mirror what he teaches his disciples to pray here. There's no shortage of temptation to sin 
in our fallen world. Even after we believe in Jesus, our flesh sometimes works against us. And yes, the devil is real. And as the Apostle Peter writes, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Folks, we have all the reason in the world to pray to God as our powerful protector. But with all that said, let's come up for air for just a moment. Because that's a lot to take in. And we haven't even gotten to the parable yet. There's infinitely more that can be said about the content of the Lord's Prayer. That's why we devoted an entire sermon series to it a few years back. But for now, let's continue focusing on our approach to God in prayer. We come to him as our father, our king, our protector, our judge, and our provider. But then to drive this point even further home, Jesus gives us those parables. He helps us understand his words by telling us what God is like and what God is not like. That's where we pick up in verse 5. Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And the friend will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and get him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this parable, my attention naturally goes to the man who wakes up his neighbor. And perhaps the reason that I do that, or we do that, is that we read this parable and think of those pesky telemarketers who call during prime dinner hours. Or those solicitors who knock on the door at inopportune moments and won't take a hint that you're not interested. We likely view that first man, the one doing the calling or the knocking in the middle of the night. We view him as rude, obnoxious, and even shameless. No wonder his neighbor was annoyed. We'd be annoyed too. But believe it or not, in the ancient world, the neighbor doing the knocking was the one doing the right thing. Why? One word. Hospitality. Hospitality. 
in that day and age, when there were no 24-hour supermarkets, there was no DoorDash, and the virtue of hospitality was treasured so highly, not having food for a guest was more of a social disgrace than waking up your neighbor in the middle of the night. So we tend to view the neighbor doing the knocking as an inconsiderate jerk. But if the other neighbor had not gotten up and given him some bread, ancient people would have viewed him as the jerk. As a result, some commentators call this the parable of the reluctant friend. Now, thankfully, the man doesn't stay in bed. And even if he did it a little bit begrudgingly, he gets up and meets his neighbor's needs. Likewise, a few verses later, Jesus tells us that a good father doesn't give his kids things that will hurt them. He gives them things that will benefit them. So the point of the parable seems to be this. If a tired neighbor or an imperfect parent will hear and respond to the needs of their friends or their children, how much more so will the God we just read about in the Lord's Prayer? So again, these verses teach us something about how we approach God when we pray. Verses 1 through 5, God is our Father, our King, our Provider, our Judge, and our Protector. But then the parables tell us even more. The point is not that if we annoy God enough, he'll eventually give in and we'll get our way. The point isn't that God is obligated to give us every single thing we ask of him. Because if he did that, he wouldn't be a very good father. Rather, if we look closer... These parables teach us about the attitude and the expectations that we have as we come to God in prayer. But what does that mean for us when we pray? Well, it means that we can pray to God shamelessly. Now, when I say shamelessly, I don't mean that we pray irreverently or flippantly. We talked about that earlier. What I mean is that we don't come to God embarrassingly trying to keep up appearances. We don't come to God in prayer attempting to impress him or score points with him. After all, he's God. He knows everything. We can't hide anything from him even if we wanted to. So we might as well not try to cover up our sins, our weaknesses, and our failings. Many of you know that back in late October, my wife Olivia and I drove to South Bend, Indiana to go to a Notre Dame football game. It was a great day. It was beautiful. It was warm. Notre Dame won. We were on our way home from the game, and at a busy intersection, a woman ran a red light and totaled our car. So, there we were. At 8.30 at night in South Bend, Indiana, almost three hours away, I had to preach the next morning, 
and we didn't have a ride home. And at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in South Bend, Indiana, rental car companies are not open. And we weren't entirely sure an Uber driver would want to drive from South Bend to Fishers and back to South Bend. So what did we do? Well, we called our State Farm insurance agent, Rick Ayton, who happens to be an elder here at this church. We explained our situation to him. He walked us through how to handle things with the police and with the other driver. And then, like a good neighbor, Rick Ayton drove up to South Bend, Indiana, three hours to pick us up and bring us home. He could have been staying home grilling steak with his wife, Linda, which is what they were planning to do that evening. But instead, he drove and he picked us up. Now, when Rick drove all that way at a moment's notice to help us, we were incredibly grateful. But to be honest, we weren't embarrassed. Why? Because Rick and Linda are our friends. They're our siblings in Christ. We love them and they love us. And we all know that. So if I'm comfortable enough in my relationship with Rick to call him in that moment and ask for help, I hope that I'm comfortable enough in my relationship with God to pray to him for help and not be embarrassed. To come to him with a healthy sense of shamelessness. So we pray to God shamelessly, but we also pray to God expectantly. The surprised host of the parable expected his neighbor to help. The hungry child expected his parents to give him food. In context, those are reasonable expectations. Well, similarly... Followers of Jesus can pray with a reasonable expectation that God hears us, loves us, and will give us what he knows we need. That's not because we're so good, but because he's so good. We don't have to fear that we might catch God at an inopportune time. We don't have to be scared that we may find God in a bad mood that day. We don't have to worry that God might not hear us knocking. Psalm 121 tells us that the God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our prayerful expectation of God's help is based on the fact that he has already given us what we need more than anything else. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. So we approach God shamelessly. We approach God expectantly. But we also approach God in prayer with a well-informed understanding of who he is. Think back to our illustration from earlier. If we only view someone in one specific way, a teacher, a boss, or a kid, then we won't know how to properly relate to them In other contexts. In the same way, if we only view God in one way, if we isolate the truths 
the attributes, the roles of God that we've talked about this morning away from all the others, we won't approach him rightly in prayer. We pray to God as father, king, provider, judge, and protector all at the same time. We can sing a very reverent hymn like holy, 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 the way we did a few minutes ago, and sing a song like what a friend we have in Jesus, the way we're going to in a few minutes. We can sing both of those songs in the same service because they're both true. In the same way, we pray to God in all the ways that we've talked about this morning. And if we do not have that well-informed, biblical understanding of who God is, our approach to him in prayer will likely get off track. We'll fall into the trap of coming to him too casually, on the one hand, or just as dangerously, on the other hand, we might come to God too coldly. Now, in the end, it's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that we can come to God in prayer to begin with. We can approach him with confidence and with comfort. We can stop the charade of keeping up appearances. And we can expect that he will help us. We expect that because he already has helped us. He's given us his son and he's given us his spirit. So don't take the privilege of prayer for granted. Use it well. Use it often. Do it boldly. In the words of Johann Spangenberg, who is a German theologian, a contemporary of Martin Luther, he writes, Knock on the door of God's fatherly heart with the hammer of prayer. Do it knowing that God hears you, knowing that God loves you, and knowing that God will give you what you need most. That's himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you that we can come to you as your children, that we were once orphans due to our sin, but we are not orphans anymore. Thank you that you are our father. Thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you that you are our king. Help us remember your holiness. Help us approach you in awe and wonder and reverence and humility and even a healthy level of fear, knowing that you are holy, holy, holy. And I pray that our wills would be conformed to yours. And Lord, I pray that you would provide for us. There are so many ways that you sustain us day in and day out that we cannot possibly be aware of. So many unseen and unperceived blessings that you give us. Lord, I ask that you continue to provide for us, whether we think we're in need or whether we think we've got things handled. Lord, I pray that you would meet our needs eternally and right now. And Lord, we confess our sin to you because you are a righteous judge. You are the righteous judge. 
But Lord, thank you that you are so righteous that you are just to forgive our sins when we bring them to you because we've believed in Christ. So, Lord, thank you for dealing with our sins once and for all on the cross. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to leave our sin behind, bring them to you, confess them to you, understand that we are forgiven by virtue of Christ, and live as the forgiven people that we are. And, Lord, I pray that you would protect us. There's no shortage of temptation. There's no shortage of potential attack out there from the evil one. And the world in so many ways is still very much a fallen place. So we ask for your help, ask for your protection to sustain us and preserve us until we see your face. Lord, I pray that you would protect us. Thank you that we have this wonderful privilege of prayer. Help us not take it for granted. Help us know the price that was paid to secure this right for us to call upon your name and know that you hear us help us use it well help us use it frequently help us knock on the door of your fatherly heart with this hammer of prayer knowing that you hear us knowing that you love us knowing that you care for us and i pray that you would give us more of yourself give us the things that we need day in and day out but ultimately give us more and more of yourself because we need you more than anything else. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.